It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Locked On Podcast Network presents Locked On Sports Today. The Tennessee Titans found their number one receiver. Will the QB situation in Nashville be tenable, though, to make this matter? Also, the Dallas Cowboys have some decisions to make, and the Lakers are not serious contenders in the Western Conference this season. I'm Peter Bukowski, starting your day with the can't-miss stories and biggest debates in sports. You're locked on sports today. Searching all major sports. Found. Let's start with the biggest story. After the Arizona Cardinals parted ways with DeAndre Hopkins, the reports were, and in fact, DeAndre Hopkins said he wanted to go to a contender. Um... Well, he didn't. He went to the Tennessee Titans, who desperately needed some help at receiver. And if you're mad about that, he has a message for you via Twitter. All y'all sports experts and analysts, be mad at your management, not me. Instead, he goes to Tennessee on a reported two years, $26 million deal. Incentive laden, we assume. We'll see when we get the full structure of that that contract when those details come to light. Tyler Rowland from Locked on Titans joins me now. And and Tyler, uh, the Titans are not not Super Bowl contenders per se, but in desperate need of receiver, it seemed like this was a perfect marriage of two things, targets and money. Does it go deeper than that? Um, I think that there's one other layer if you're peeling back the layers of the onion you know, how this decision made. You're 100% right about targets. The Titans had 190 targets available with nobody on the depth chart at wide receiver other than Traylon Burks, who anybody could name. So obviously Hopkins would get a great opportunity. You look at New England, they just signed Juju Smith-Schuster. They have Kendrick Bourne. They have Devontae Parker. And while Hopkins is a better player than those guys, you know that they, you know, had more competition for snaps just based on the names that they had available. So that was there as well. Money, and it's not just the Titans offering more money. No state taxes in Tennessee is a big factor here as well. And the Titans play 11 of their 17 games in a no state tax state. So that's big too. Um, But I think the last thing is relationships because Hmm. not only did the Titans have an advantage with having Mike Vrabel and Tim Kelly, who was on the offensive staff in Houston for six years with Hopkins, not only having both of those guys, Vrabel from the head coaching perspective, hey, practice schedule, all these things, I'm going to work with you. But hey, Tim Kelly knows where you like the ball, what formations you like, what routes you like to run, all that. Not only did the Titans have the advantage there, but Bill O'Brien was on the other side. If you go back to some of the stuff Michael Irvin said on Get Up a couple of years ago about the interactions between Hopkins and Bill O'Brien, him comparing him to Aaron Hernandez in a meeting, uh, being unhappy about the the mothers of his children, being around the facility, making comments there. I, I There was a report that that wasn't an issue, but I don't, anybody who's just a human on earth, you, somebody says stuff like that to you, it's hard to go work for them again. So the relationships... I think we're a key factor in this that other than just the money and the opportunity that Hopkins wants, I think the comfortability with, with the relationships and the people you're going to be working with was a big plus for the Titans, at least compared to new England. Yeah. I think when you look at this offense though, you go, okay, they used a first round pick on Traylon Burks, who's a big physical receiver who Mm -hmm. 
can can work vertically, although we didn't see it at Tennessee last year the way we did at Arkansas when he was in college. Beyond that, you mentioned some of the the, the name recognition issue right. that that these receivers have, but it's also a skill set issue. So where do you think DeAndre Hopkins actually fits in when it comes to this offense? Well, I actually think that while Traylon Burks was limited last year because of injuries and he had conditioning issues early in the year coming out of the draft that I think affected him throughout the year, he's past that, leaner, slimmer. He's in the best shape of his life, Pete. You know, best shape of their life season. We're in that that season, right? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so, but I think it's actually true with Burks, who's going into his second season compared to his rookie all season. And I think that although Burks didn't show everything that he could have to get people excited, Pete is a guy who covers the Packers. Burks had that big catch on Jair Alexander last yeah. year at the end of that matchup between the Titans and the Packers. And unfortunately, sealed Burks the game. Got, yes, he did. And he gave the two small sign. And it was kind of a moment for a reserved rookie where it's like, this guy's breaking out of his shell and becoming what we thought he could be when they picked him in the first round. I think that Burks, because of his size and his ability to go vertically, I think he'll show that more this year personally kind of bullish on his ability to do that. I think that now Burks becomes that field stretcher. When the Titans get in their two wide receiver sets with a wide receiver on either side, uh, two tight ends, they run that play action, bang, they're going to be able to have Burks threatening the single high safety going deep because teams are putting eight in the box, getting single high looks. Burks is going to be able to threaten deep. And if you don't respect that, Tannehill's going to let it fly. And Burks is big enough and strong enough to go up and get it over top of cornerbacks he's got on his back. If that safety respects that well now Hopkins is going to be that guy who's crafty and smart can get in those windows and sit down and understands how to read defenses and use all that experience that he has and he can be that intermediate threat that Tannehill can get the ball to quickly over the middle and he can kind of dart around and honestly I think both those guys can interchange those roles which will make it harder for defenses to kind of lock things down and uh I I see Burks is more the vertical guy but having Two guys now that can reasonably do both of those roles on those play-action passes. I, I think it's just a huge, huge addition for the Titans. And it because of how bad the receiver group is and how good Hopkins is, it totally flips the dynamic, in my mind, of what they're capable of going forward. Stay up to date all year on the Tennessee Titans by subscribing to Locked On Sports today and Locked On Titans on your favorite podcast app and on YouTube. Thanks for making Locked On Sports today your first listen. Coming up, the Dallas Cowboys have some important decisions to make ahead of the franchise tag deadline in the NFL. Before we get to that, tennis has its new it boy. Take your first swing at betting Major League Baseball on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet in bonus bets, up to $200. That's right, just bet 20 bucks and you'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. That's $200 in bets to bet on everything from the money line to the point total to who you think is going to hit the first home run. The Yankees head out west to take on the Angels in FanDuel. Not liking a bounce back for the Bronx Bombers FanDuel has the Yankees plus 112. Of course, you can also combine multiple prop bets in a single game for a bigger payout with FanDuel same game parlay on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you get paid instantly. There's no better place to better Major League Baseball than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. So sign up today and visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get up to $200 back in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. 
Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Now, here's what you need to be locked on today. Carlos Alcaraz outlasted an epic duel with Novak Djokovic to win the Wimbledon final on Sunday. The match lasted four hours and 42 minutes. It's longer than Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning and was the third longest final in Wimbledon history. Alcaraz became the third youngest men's winner in the Open era. He's just 20 years old and 72 days. Alcaraz is the number one player in the men's world rankings and has barely scratched the surface of his career, playing only his fourth tournament on grass. This is remarkable stuff. Alcaraz has proved to be a quick study on the surface. In two previous appearances at the All England Club, Alcaraz has finished no better than the fourth round. He displayed market improvement last year, but nothing about his performance signaled he would go all the way this year to do it against Djokovic. Certainly icing on the cake in this one. And a former young phenom, now in his 30s and still a phenom, Rory McIlroy birdied the last two holes in a whipping win Sunday for a 2-under 68 to win the Genesis Scottish Open. This is Rory's first win on Scottish soil. McIlroy was one shot behind Robert McIntyre when he played the slope to near perfection on the par 3 17th to set up a four-foot birdie putt to tie for the lead. Then he delivered what McIlroy called one of the best shots of his career, a two-iron into the wind for 10 feet for a final birdie. It was a good time to win for McIlroy too. He heads south to Royal Liverpool for the Open Championship. There, he will try and end his nine-year drought in majors. McIlroy also became the first ever player to win the Scottish Open, the Irish Open, and the Open Championship. On the diamond, the Milwaukee Brewers humbled the Cincinnati Reds over the weekend. Hi, everybody. Chuck Freeman here from Lockdown Brewers. We'll drop the episode coming up a little bit later on on Sunday night. But how good was this bullpen this weekend? It was the Piamps, Pagero, and Williams bullpen on Saturday night. Another shutout. And then they come right back. Hobie Miller gets the job done, gives those other guys a rest. Williams cleans up. And this is after Hauser pitches into the sixth inning. And the Brewers get another home run from Christian Yelich. And Andrew Monastero with a big RBI base hit, a bloop single, that gives the Brewers the lead in that eighth inning. Let's be honest. We thought the Brewers... Do we really think the Brewers are going to sweep this three-game series in Cincinnati? I thought after they got the first two, we'd have the Sunday lineup and then go from there. But now they got the day off on Monday, heading to Philly on Tuesday. We'll talk about it coming up on Lockdown Brewers in a little bit. Looking forward to the show. A sweep in Cincinnati. The New York Mets, the scuffling New York Mets, salvaged the weekend series with the L.A. Dodgers thanks to a dramatic walk-off win. Well, what looked like a pretty brutal weekend of Mets baseball ended with the silver lining as they were able to walk off a victory in extra innings to salvage something against the Los Angeles Dodgers. This is Ryan Finkelstein, the host of Locked On Mets, and what we saw this weekend was some pretty good pitching performances by Kodai Senga and Max Scherzer, but absolutely no offense, which leads you to wonder... 
Is this team destined to be a seller at the deadline? And that's all we'll be discussing on tomorrow's show. But also, we get to rejoice in uh, a night uh, where the Mets were able to pull something off. And Louis Guillaume was the hero with a walk-off hit. So we'll be talking about all those different things on tomorrow's edition of Locked On Mets. Here is another story you need to know. First, the Dallas Cowboys gave Zeke Elliott a lucrative long-term extension. Then he didn't play out that extension. Then they franchise tagged Tony Pollard. And now there will be no extension done with Tony Pollard, leaving some questions about the running back room in Dallas. Joining me to help answer some of those questions, Marcus Mosher from Locked On Cowboys. And it was it was seemingly easy to figure out what Jerry Jones and company were going to do with Ezekiel Elliott. It has apparently become more difficult to predict what's going on with Tony Pollard. Where are we right now with these two? The Cowboys just like to give running backs a lot of money, right? And they're giving Tony Pollard over ten million this yeah, year, ten point one million, which is number. he's one of the highest paid running backs in the league. We've seen guys get cut like Dalvin Cook, Kareem Hunt, Leonard Fournette. We saw Joe Mixon take a pay cut, right? The running back market is just non-existent. But Tony Pollard's still getting paid. I think he's very happy to play in the ten million dollar franchise tag. He's only twenty five years old with only six hundred career touches. I think he looks at it like. I have another good season. Maybe I can, you know, get another franchise tag or parlay it into a long-term deal. We'll see. Are long-term deals still out there for the running backs? Because you mentioned Joe Mixon, no. Dalvin Cook, Aaron Jones also took a pay cut. Like this is, it's getting bleak out there to the point that we've had media members, prominent media members, not just like the scofflaw media members go, we need to change something in the salary cap. Like, is this out there? Probably not, but I do think Tony Pollard is one of the few running backs that I think you could justify a long-term extension because mm. of the lack of touches, right? Again, I'm going to mention it, 631 career touches in the NFL. That's a Derrick Henry season. Yeah, th- honestly, like that's two seasons of Derrick Henry, right? Or it's two seasons of Josh Jacobs. And if you go back even a little bit further, when he was at Memphis, he wasn't a you know, a running back that got a lot of touches. He was playing slot receiver. So if you're going to pay a running back, paying a guy like Pollard who doesn't have a lot of awareness tearing on his body, probably not a bad idea. However, Peter, I just don't see teams paying running backs really at all going forward. So this is a, a Cowboys team all in for this season. They bring in Brandon Cooks. They bring in Stephon Gilmore. They have one of the, the more star-studded off-seasons um, uh, in the NFL, and they look like they are a, a bona fide contender in the NFC. How much do you think that plays into this decision right now with Tony Pollard? I mean, I think a little bit. I, I just don't buy that the Cowboys are all in because, yes, they have some big contracts coming up, but they've got a lot of really good young players like CeeDee Lamb, Micah Parsons, Trayvon Diggs. Uh, I think they just look at the running back position as we've got this guy coming off a major injury who's never been a worker workhorse back before. Let's see him do it before we invest any more money into him. In a way, is it actually good then that Mike McCarthy saved him a little bit and didn't use him as much as maybe Cowboys fans wanted to see him use? I mean, this is this conversation is happening right now on Packers Twitter with Mike McCarthy and Aaron Jones because it's like he's fresh now. He's still really good. A lot of running backs at that age are declining and Aaron Jones isn't. Like, is there is there a silver lining maybe here a little bit? Yeah. Maybe, right? Like, because he is 25 years old. You feel like, hey, maybe the be- his best football is still in front of him. But at the same time, 
what would happen if the Cowboys would have just given him more touches in 2021 yeah. and 2022 when Ezekiel <laughs> Elliott was clearly declining? How yeah. much better would that have made the offense? I don't know. Uh, but I, I do think McCarthy has maybe helped prolong Tony Pollard's career at least a little bit. So I expect him to be one of the best running backs in the league this year. What do you expect for a workload this season? Because as I mentioned, no Ezekiel Elliott stealing touches from him. So are they going to have to still stay with the committee? Is this going to be full bore with, with Tony Pollard? What's the plan here? I think when you start to get in like the season long projections, those can get a little funky, right? But if you're looking at like a, an average game, I think the Cowboys would love to give Pollard like 16 carries and four receptions a game and maybe try to keep him off the field in some of those goal line situations. And maybe it's a Ronald Jones or a Malik Davis that handles that. But I think somewhere between 18 and 22 touches per game for Tony Pollard, I think makes sense because you want to keep him fresh as you get in December and January, but you also need to give him a lot of touches because outside of CD lamb, he's the best player on your offense. So I think Mike McCarthy and the rest of that, uh, you know, coaching staff is going to have to try to find, the right balance of touches for Pollard this year. Stay up to date all year on the Dallas Cowboys by subscribing to Locked On Sports today and Locked On Cowboys on your favorite podcast app and on YouTube. Coming up, why the Lakers are not a serious threat to win the Western Conference this season. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. LeBron is coming back. The Lakers just made it to the Western Conference Finals in last year's playoffs. So why is Adam Morris telling Wes Goldberg that the Lakers are not serious contenders this year on a recent episode of Locked On NBA? Um, I think they're good. I thought they were good after they made the Russell Westbrook trade last year. I think they're a legit contender with LeBron James and Anthony Davis at the top as long as they can stay healthy, which is always the asterisk with them. Um, I still have the Nuggets as the overwhelming favorites. But if we're talking about, if we're trying to put a group of contenders together, I think the Lakers are firmly in that, obviously with the Phoenix Suns. Um, are there any other teams that I'm missing in there? Or would you disagree with any of those teams I already had in there? I'm going to disagree with the Lakers. I mean, the part here, you talk about a top eight, and D'Angelo Russell was the first guy you mentioned when you were going to the bench there. D'Angelo Russell was one of the reasons the Lakers got swept in the playoffs last year. And the team was too afraid, and everybody knew it, and the team was too afraid to bench him. He continued to start and continued to play. To me, when you re-up a guy, I'm with you. I think it's more of a long-term play to trade him at the deadline. But either, either way, you re-up a guy, and then that's supposed to be one of the strengths for your roster coming back. Like It's very rare. The framing around the Lakers is, is always this way, where for some reason we're missing the plot. Michael Malone in the playoffs last year felt so good about D'Angelo Russell being on the court that he brought it up in game one of this press conference saying, hey, that's a guy that's really been positive for them in the playoffs. It'll be interesting to see if they continue to play him. Of all the cocky things Michael Malone said, pairing <laughs> the other coach to play D'Angelo Russell in a playoff and then him playing and starting the rest of the series, that was the wildest one that somehow flew under the radar. Look, I'm not big market guy. 
I live on the East Coast, but I'm from the Midwest. So I'm the last person to be baselessly defending the LA Lakers. But they played the Nuggets harder than any team in last year's playoffs. Yes, they were not exactly a virtuoso team in the regular season. But by the end of the regular season, they were one of the three or four best teams in the Western Conference. And then in the postseason, what did they do except win every series in front of them except against the team that won the title? And they got better this offseason. What exactly is going to happen with the Golden State Warriors, a team they beat? Yes, they're not as good as Denver, but no one is. And if there's someone who can do miraculous things, it's LeBron James, even at his age. Who else in the West are you going to hang your hat on other than the Nuggets? Okay, the Warriors, but they're another year older and they just added another old player in Chris Paul. No one on the Clippers seems to be able to play more than 40 games and can't be trusted to be healthy in the postseason. The Suns are stacked at the top with talent, but don't have a lot of depth. And their best player, Kevin Durant, has had serious injuries basically every year for the last five years. So why would the Lakers not be contenders exactly? They, they were the second best team in the West last year. That seems pretty good to me. Maybe I'm old school. And finally... Tyreek Hill has a clear goal for this season. He said on his podcast that he will break the 2,000-yard receiving mark, something that's yet to be accomplished in NFL history. The NFL record for receiving yards in a single season is 1964, not the year, the number, 1,964 yards set by Detroit Lions wide receiver Calvin Johnson Jr. That was back in 2012. Hill isn't totally off base here, though, as he was on a pace to break 2,000 yards last year after eclipsing 1,100 in just nine games before a slew of injuries to Dolphins quarterbacks derailed the offensive flow. He'll also said he got by solely on athletic ability as he didn't quite grasp the playbook in his first season. Thanks for making Locked On Sports today your first listen. Now find your favorite team's podcast and make them your second listen. Coming up tomorrow, who has the most work to do in training camp as we near the opening of the NFL's preseason? So at least until tomorrow, stay Locked On Sports today. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.